Hello and welcome to the Cup of Coffee podcast with me, your host, Tom Dillon. This is usually recorded live at our weekly online meeting and broadcast around the world. However, I was honoured to be asked to host the pain-free property event with various special guests on the 10th of July, 2021, and I'm delighted to share one of the highlights with you here. Enjoy. I'm going to try and bring a little bit of magic into your portfolio. That's what we're going to try and do. And it's all about maximising your assets. Um, and in three different ways, we're going to look at this. And I don't have much time to do this, but we're going to try and do it anyway. Maximise your assets. So in other words, taking care of your properties, taking care of your cash flow, taking care of your portfolio is what I'm going to try and crash through uh, in the next 20 minutes or so. And I'm going to start with maximising your assets. In other words, looking after those properties and really in four key ways, thinking about quality tenants, thinking about quality management, quality of the build, the quality of materials, actually five different ways, quality of the care. And Sharon has already taken us through how we go about finding, defining and recruiting, if you like, our quality tenants and how we then go through a quality management process. We've talked about the dark side. Steve's talked about that and Sharon's talked about some of the ways in which you can really kind of uh, add value, if you like, into that that management layer uh, with some of those tips. Now, I'm not going to spend any time today talking about how you build quality into your properties and how you build quality through the materials that you use. Those are topics for another day and maybe another another webinar. But they are certainly key because in terms of looking after your properties, maximising the benefit from your properties, having properties that are robust in nature, that are being built well and that will last the test of time is really key. So I'm going to plunge straight into kind of quality care. What do I mean by quality care? Well, I mean this. I mean starting out as you mean to continue. Getting those inventories right, quality inventories, means that you then can sort of attract the quality of your property. You can maintain good records of what's gone on in terms of uh, maintenance, uh, carry out regular inspections against those inventories. Um, maybe even as your property portfolio builds, start to think about the maintenance team and are they adding quality uh, to them? I, I could tell you one story. We had a, a property of ours uh, where the toilet needed to be replaced not an unusual situation, but the toilet had been uh, set onto the floor and tiled around. Um, they replaced the toilet with a completely different size pedestal. I might get that right, pedestal. Um, when you walked in there, it was, it was kind of like um, somebody put a moat around the toilet, um, a very bizarre uh, setup. So, so not kind of the, the sort of maintenance team you really want working on those. And obviously making sure you've kind of got something like emergency repair service in place, whether it be kind of British Gas Home Care or whatever, you've kind of got that instant call because issues, sure as eggs is eggs, will happen in the middle of the night uh, when you're somewhere, um, at, you know, COVID permitting, somewhere the other side of the world. So taking care of that. And of course, making sure you've got the right and appropriate landlord's insurance. So those are just a few additional items, really, that you're going to, want to add on to all of the, the Sharon's talked about in terms of the quality management. That's not really going to be my focus for this afternoon. I'm the money guy. I, I, I'm kind of interested in, in money. I've been involved in financial service for years and years. And you learn some lessons by, by looking at uh, how other businesses run. And we could take some of those lessons and apply them 
in a in a property business setting. So really, I'm going to talk next about maximizing your cash flow. And by that, I don't mean squeezing your tenants warmly by the throat um, or, or tipping them upside down and shaking them till all the all the coin falls out. Uh, maximizing your cash flow, I'm going to look at from three kind of uh, particular ways, rent management, cost management, margin and profit. And I'm going to start with rent management. And by that, I don't really mean just collecting the money. I mean, taking care of it when things go wrong. Sharon and Steve will tell you, you know, there's a process in place, a, a way that you go about these, these um, the rent collection and rent arrears. And I want to talk a little bit about rent arrears because in business terms, what rent arrears are really is bad debt. So if you think about rent arrears as bad debt, um, you won't go too far wrong. And if you were in any other business, bad debt kind of brings with it a whole raft of challenges. Yes, initially there could be the loss of profit on that bad debt. But in fact, bad debt is always doubly bad because you've lost the income too. You haven't just lost the piece on the top. You haven't just lost your profit on that unpaid rent. You've lost the actual rent itself. So there's always a double whammy that kind of comes with that. And bad debt usually brings with it uh, ongoing costs. There are always going to be costs associated with trying to recover that bad debt. And that's going to be um, our, our one of the things we'll come to. But there may also be costs associated with the property that you have. So the rent's not being paid, but the costs continue. Nobody stops your mortgage payments. All of a sudden, you know, you still have to pay those. If it's an HMO, all of a sudden your heating bills haven't stopped just because one of your tenants has stopped paying the rent. You're still paying the heating for five or six people uh, when there's only kind of four actually paying the bills. Of course, the voids themselves create another challenge. So it's almost as if bad debt, when it's finally resolved, is going to result in a void, a tenant leaving the property and leaving you a gap to fill, something to bridge. And the cost of filling voids, of course, it's always more expensive than the cost of continuation. You've got to go find another tenant. You've got to go through the credit checks. You've got to go through the referencing checks. And these are all massively valuable, but they all come at a price. They all come at a cost. And then if they're really serious, I and mean, Sharon told us a horror story from the Sunday Times a few years back, if they're really serious, then the cost of recovery, there was £26,000 in debt, but there was £10,000 of legal costs, or it sounded like there was about £10,000 of legal costs buried in that particular story. And those costs of recovery could be quite significant. Um, there are other issues associated with bad debt, by the way. Um, loss of sleep, uh, I haven't priced up on this particular slide. Um, ulcers, I haven't priced up on here. Poor health, um, loss of hair, um, all of those things, you know, could, could kind of be a cost uh, associated with bad debt. So what do we do? How do we respond to bad debt? What's one of the ways in which we try and respond to bad debt? Well, people say, well, I don't want any bad debt. I don't want to find tenants who can't pay their bills. Um, so what I'll do is I'll, I'll kind of reduce my, my rents. I'll, I'll keep them down. I won't 
I won't I won't push those rents up. I'll, I'll play safe and then and then everyone's life's going to be a little bit a little bit easier. So so one of the responses, like I say, is is that we will I know drop our prices or or, or not not raise them, and we end up in this sort of position. Um, and and you might be wondering what a fish with bug eyes has got to do with property management. Well, apart from the fact that he's, he's not the world's prettiest fish, um, <laughs> this particular fish is, I don't know, I don't, I don't know anything about fish, by the way, is, is a bottom feeder. And, and the bottom of the market is uh, a very interesting and strange place. There are plenty of bottom feeders out there and you can make great money from servicing the bottom of the market. Tesco is doing an awesome job of selling baked beans. We live right opposite at the Heinz factory here in, here in Wigan. And I'm pretty sure that Tesco buy a lot of beans from Heinz and sell a lot of Heinz beans. Um, they also buy a lot of, of, of beans from other suppliers and sell a lot of beans. And that's the problem. If you're selling beans, you've got to sell an awful lot of beans to make money okay whereas non-bottom feeders and we'll come to them in just a minute perhaps have taken a slightly different route so so the bottom feeders kind of go through this thought process which is hmm okay got some challenges i must fill those rooms i really must fill those rooms but before you drop your prices before you kind of go down that track i want to introduce you to my egg and crest sandwich theory. Okay, now you may have seen some of this in the advertising. Um, I, can't, I can't really lay claim to it being my, my, own, uh, my own thoughts, although I put my own spin on it. The question is, why am I talking to you about egg and crest sandwiches? Well, the reason I'm talking to you about egg and crest sandwiches is at the time that we kind of came with this idea, the maths were really simple for egg and crest sandwiches. Okay, and the reason the maths were really simple is because you could go out and you could buy an egg crest sandwich for a pound. You could just buy it for a pound. Now, I'm going to be slightly outrageous and say that the ingredients in this egg and, egg, egg and crest sandwich are extraordinary. They are, are eggs laid by golden geese, a crest plucked by a princess in the dead of night from the local stream um, so the ingredients are 70 pence per sandwich okay i expect the real ingredients but about seven pence um, but you've also got cost of distribution of 20 pounds fixed cost of distribution and typically you sell a hundred of these egg and crest sandwiches or a hundred of these these kind of um, cheaper rooms or, or whatever it is that, that, that is bottom there. So, so we've got a hundred sandwiches. Um, we've sold them all for a pound. So they've brought us in a hundred pounds of sales. We sold a hundred sandwiches. Um, there were some costs associated with that. A hundred sets of ingredients, which was 70 quid plus 20 pounds of fixed costs, you know, for the van or, or for the, for the sharp, sort of knife sharpener to make these said sandwiches. So with sales of £100 and cost of sales of £90, our net profit is £10. Okay, everybody with me so far? You're all, you're all still with the maths on this. Brilliant. Okay. 
And you think, well, that's not bad, is it? I'm making, I'm making a, a decent profit on my egg and cress sandwiches. I'd like to make more profit, please. I'd like to, um, to earn a few more, a few more, well, Tom will call it coin, a little more coin off my egg and cress sandwiches. So uh, how do I make a bit more coin? Um, well, the obvious answer is I will sell some more egg and cress sandwiches. How are you going to sell some more egg and cress sandwiches? How are you going to fill those rooms? Well, you think, okay, maybe I should do a little offer on these egg and cress sandwiches. And, uh, and maybe we should sell them for uh, a little, a little less. In fact, we're going to do a 10% off offer. So we're going to do a discount on our egg and cress sandwiches and sell them for 90 pence. Just put in the chat, if you would, if we've got a sort of, if we're selling our egg and cress sandwiches for 10% more, by how much do our sales need to increase, do you think, to compensate, okay? So we want to sell our sandwiches for 90 pence, not a pound. That's 10% uh, less on, on, on price. How many more sandwiches, as a percentage, would you say we need to sell? Just Go with your gut instinct. Just whack it in the chat. Just stick it in. See what you see. What you think? Ten percent off the price. How many more? Ten percent sounds like a very sensible. What else do, do people think? Ten percent. I've got from Sharon. Uh, twice as many says Toby. Um, <laughs> so we have both the optimistic and the slightly more pessimistic there, which is interesting. Ten percent. Any any other any other guesses? Most people would probably say ten percent more. Most people would probably say ten percent more. Oh, Steve says much more. We've given all the profit away. Well, let's see if that's if that's true. So here's our original situation. We're making ten percent uh, ten pound profit on on hundred pounds of sales, and we're dropping the price to ninety pence. Ingredients haven't changed. There's still um, eggs laid by golden geese, um, crest picked at midnight by a princess. Um, our fixed costs are fixed costs, so they're still £20. So, uh, but now we are selling, let's say, 20% more. So let's go for 20. So we drop the price by 10, we're going to sell 20% more. So our sales rise by uh, 100, uh, by 20% um, to 120 so our costs, uh, sorry, our total sales now is 108. So that is 120 sandwiches at 90 pence a sandwich. And if my math is right, it will be 108 pounds of sales. Our costs of sales have risen a little bit because obviously we're making more sandwiches. We need more princesses, more golden geese. So we have got uh, 120 lots of 70 pence of ingredients plus our 20 pounds of fixed costs. So our cost of sales have gone up. Um, and of course, we've made a nice profit of four pounds. Okay, that didn't quite work. Maybe Toby's right. Maybe we need to, to, to double the sales. So you, at this point, you see, you decide that what you need to do is just phone your sales team and just tell them the, the bad news. Of course, you pick up the phone to your sales team um, they turn out they're not there. They've gone off celebrating. Why have they gone off celebrating? Well, sales up 20% um, and income is up 8%. Yeah, so you've raised both sales and income, which is after all the job of the sales team. 
regrettably, of course, your profit is uh, has dropped by 60%. Um, if you'd have made the same call to the finance director, I'm sure you would have found him or her weeping uh, into a large uh, uh, brandy or something like that. In actual fact, um, you'd have to go a little bit further than that, not quite as far as Toby, uh, but up to 150 sandwiches simply to recover your net profit position. So your attempt to try and sell product at a lower price tends to backfire. In this case, it's backfired uh, to, to the tune of having to make 50% uh, more sandwiches. And I'm gonna guess, guys, that if you're selling 50% more sandwiches, your fixed costs are not gonna be fixed any longer. If I'm selling, uh, you know, if that was 100,000 sandwiches and 150,000 sandwiches, I bet I'm gonna need another van uh, to deliver the wretched things. Does that make sense? Can everybody sort of sort of see? So let me just check the chat. Are there any, any questions um, in, in there about that? Everyone kind of gets that, right? So you drop your price, but you cut your margin. Your margin has thinned, and that's really what Steve was getting at in his comment earlier. So be very wary. Maybe that's not right. Maybe it's time to rethink your pricing. And that might mean rethinking the quality of your properties, the quality of your product, and the quality of your avatar. Now, we've kind of got some additional bonuses coming up a little bit later um, to help. But this kind of explains why we might want to reach out to quality managers like Sharon and like Steve. Uh, because to go the other way, to go the hard route and reduce price on self-management might not be the answer. The second, the, the, the next area I want to talk about is just maximising your portfolio. And this is the kind of bit where a lot of us sort of run away from the numbers. And I'm going to talk about, and, and don't shoot me, I'm going to talk about KPIs and whether KPIs really matter. I think they, they do, um, but it's something that, that often scares a lot of us. Now, start with those costs. Understanding your costs, understanding where you are against those costs is really key for sort of getting the maximum benefit out of your portfolio. This is a, a kind of a model, if you like, a, a budget for our property portfolio. I'm not suggesting this is yours. I'm not suggesting this is ours, but it's a kind of a close approximation. Maybe 25% of our costs are mortgage related or lending related, 5% insurance, 10% set aside for maintenance, professional fees at 5%, management at 10%, utilities at 10% too. And that might be your model. And if you have set your model, then you've got something against which to manage your portfolios, the outcome of your portfolios. So if my mortgage is actually a, a cost me 22% against my 25%, that's pretty good. That sounds like my mortgage costs are where they need to be. In fact, they're, they're rather ahead of where they need to be. I've managed to negotiate for a portfolio uh, insurance rates of 4% instead of 5%. That sounds good, that sounds powerful. Regrettably, it's been a tough year. Someone came and stole our boiler. Um, <laughs> And it, it, one boiler, uh, sort of, you know, I don't know how much it costs to install there, Tom, but, um, you know, by the time you bought it, got all the bits, got some, a man in to do it, and that, you probably, you probably kind of got a 1500 quid hole in your, 
in your pocket. 1,500 quid could take a while to, to, to uh, recover. So your maintenance is 12% and that's gone down. Professional fees, 5% seems to be on the money. Management's coming on the money. Utilities, in fact, we've managed to negotiate um, and get a good deal. Or we finally persuaded our HMO tenants to shut the windows okay, and turn down the thermostat. I know this is fantasy land and stuff like that, but this is this is hardball. You know, this is one of those badges you're going to pick up as a Boy Scout. Um, it's going to be very uh, high heating bills uh, and surprisingly a large number of open windows. So at the end of that, we can see from our simple KPI model on costs where the challenges are, where the opportunities are. Can we do something about that? Can we look to negotiate as a portfolio grows? Should there be a renegotiation of management fees? Or are a lot of those costs also fixed? Can we refinance our mortgage portfolio? And that's the next thing that I think I'd like to just sort of step into. And that's leverage or leverage. It depends on whether you're North or South American or English, I suppose. I'm going to call it leverage because, uh, because I am from the South and that, that's where it goes. So this is another of your KPIs, another way to see whether your portfolio is delivering the kind of big bang, you know, the maximum bang for your buck. It's a very simple model. Doesn't have to be sort of too too uh, too challenging. If you've got eight hundred thousand pounds of mortgages, loans, liabilities, if you will, and your portfolio has assets of twelve hundred pounds, it's not going to take a genius to work out that my loan to value across my portfolio is sixty six percent. Well, maybe it does take a genius. The maths are pretty straightforward. Excel will take all the pain out of doing this. The question is, what does 66% represent? Well, the answer is absolutely nothing, really, unless you have set some kind of target KPI. If my target KPI is 70%, then obviously a portfolio loan to value of 66 suggests there is an opportunity here, or potential opportunity to increase the leverage on that portfolio. On the other hand, I might set my target at 65%, in order to try to get better rates on those, on those mortgages or on that financing. So by changing our target, we might change our thinking. So if, I, if my, my target is 65 and I'm at 66%, I'm not really getting potentially the best mortgage rates I could. Is there a way for me to reduce that loan to value uh, down below that level? Um, and that, there's a couple of ways of doing that, I guess. Number one, you repay some of your loans, or number two, you uh, increase the value of your portfolio. You go around there and you, you give it a lick of paint and uh, persuade a friendly surveyor to come around, or value to come around and, and, and up, up the value by uh, 20 grand. And that might just kind of push you over the edge. Uh, but it is a way of thinking about what it is that is right for you in your situation. Okay, so we've kept it easy, costs, KPIs, leverage KPIs. Um, I thought now we would talk about a weighted average cost of capital. Um, so I thought I'd put up the WAC formula here. I guess most of you are familiar with this stuff, um, the bottom of the WAC curve. And all, no, it doesn't. Okay, this is what businesses talk about. Businesses talk about that cost of capital. And what they're looking at is trying to get that debt equity ratio right. That's what you're trying to do in your business. 
And one of the things you need to do or, or could think about in terms of your, uh, your capital is to think about how much that capital is costing you. What's the total cost of your capital? Typically in business, equity okay, requires a higher level of return than debt. So in business terms, debt is good. In property terms, debt is still pretty good. Okay, debt is still pretty good. If you ever kind of go for long-term debt, you'll realize it's pretty cheap compared with asking someone for short-term equity loans, or, sorry, short-term loans, um, or, or using some of your, your, own, uh, your own money as equity. So debt is usually good in business. It's certainly very good in property. So we said before we had total borrowings around about £800. Um, let's assume that the total mortgage cost on that £800,000 was £2,500 a calendar month. Um, I'm doing this to kind of keep the math simple. You realise that, don't you? Not simple for you guys, simple for me, um, because <laughs> otherwise I'd probably fall off the screen. Um, then we can see that the overall cost of our of our capital, oh, sorry, of our of the capital that we've borrowed, the debt, if you like, is three point seven five percent. If you have additional costs associated with that, so you may have mortgage costs and then you may have other lending, that might be a slightly different rate. But take a holistic view of your portfolio, as your property portfolio grows, start to think of it in more holistic terms rather than just property by property. And if your target, if all your modeling is at 5%, if everything, every time you, you look at a property or assess a property, you assess it on that 5% cost of borrowing, then all is good in your world, yeah? Everything is good in your world. How are we doing on time? We're, we're, we're over, I'm told we're over. Okay, well, there was quite a lot to get through there. Um, those were some very quick and simple tips around managing your properties, your cash flow and your portfolio. Um, to help you a little bit further, we want to give you uh, all the help that we can. And I thought what I would do is to share with everybody here today something from our Spring Micro School uh, that looked at both kind of setting out your strategy and also creating a, an outline financial plan. And so we're giving everybody here today a chance to catch up. We call them lunch boxes. They are the, the short summary uh, slides from week one and week two of our Spring Micro School. They're just 45 minutes, but they're packed full of ideas and information around how you might both set your strategy for building your portfolio and for uh, setting your financial plan against which to map that portfolio. Uh, I think Kat's going to put a, a link in there, uh, but it is to YouTube. So you can get these straight away. You don't have to wait for anything at all. You don't have to download anything. Two YouTube videos. You can go and pick them up uh, later today or, or whenever you've got, got some free time. And we'll find, uh, hopefully, there's some real value in there to help you, um, let's say, build, plan, and sort of uh, articulate your portfolio. Uh, um, both in terms of strategy and in terms of in terms of money and finance. And that's me done, I think. I, 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 was, I was a pretty sort of swift uh, troll through the, the wonderful world of Ingress sandwiches. Uh, thank you very much, Howard. I really enjoyed the um, Ingress sandwich action.
uh, yeah, and um, uh, and learning a lot looking through those example numbers. Uh, I think it's, I don't know, it is it is key to look at that sort of stuff, but it it, it turns it, like. I'm very mindful because it's my personality type that nothing turns me off more than that sort of stuff. It's funny. I understand the importance of it. That doesn't mean I'm like, oh, it's rubbish. I'm dismissive of it. I'm, I'm, my brain goes, that's important stuff. Though. That's the stuff where if you want to, you know, where you've already maybe got a house or, or, or rental properties and you want to squeeze that last 10% out, which is almost like free money if you manage it well and, 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 and look after it well and so on, it'll look after you. But my brain also goes, yeah, I can't be bothered, uh, or, or just doesn't want to do it. Uh, and again, I suppose it comes down to, you know, in, that, in my case, knowing knowing myself and realizing I need to outsource that to someone else to do. Um, because, but some people will love it. Some people will. It will be exactly I think my business partner Chris is exactly the sort of thing to look down and sit down, and look at some KPIs and mess about with zero, or whatever accountancy software, able to use Sage, the same sort of stuff, and go, okay, we're spending ten percent more on the mortgage on this property than that property. We need to look at that. But it's really difficult. It's, di it's difficult if it's not your personality type. It's also difficult to sometimes to find the time isn't it if you're like i want 30 properties by the end of the year going back to that man on the beach at the start of the show today um uh, like hang on a minute Where, where's the man on the beach looking now now starting to look at whether i can get 3.24 percent fixed for five years rather than 3.74 percent or indeed oh i should charge more rent less rent you know i need to be looking at rental properties in the area and day to day so i suppose i suppose this is where it comes into to learn about yourself and maybe you know um come and come and learn a program with you guys or, i i think that's yeah. absolutely right i think you you that it, there's a bit of grunt work in, in setting out the KPIs, but then having them as part of your dashboard tells you when you need to take action. Mm. Or, like I say, outsource, work with somebody who can take that pain away from you or work with a system who can take that pain away from you if, indeed, that feels like pain for you. Uh, but these are key, you know, if, if you've got your property and you've nurtured your property, you've nurtured your tenants, but you're not sort of really optimising the income from your portfolio, then that you seriously... Um, that that feels to me like you're not quite taking your own business seriously. Yeah, you sort of leave your money on the table, aren't you? That's that's, yeah, yeah. that's free-ish money. Um, like making money in this, this game's tough. Making money in any game's tough, and so to leave money on the table is uh, is 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 not advised. Um, well, smashing that for that, I, would, uh, I, I, I know you're going to stick around now because we've got a quick Q and A session. So if anyone has any questions, um, feel free to pop them in the Q and A box, uh, and we'll welcome back to the spotlight. Um, Sharon and I think Steve um, uh, I, I'm going to fire away with my uh, universal credit question and uh, to, to, which is to Sharon saved up from last time and then I'm sure we can all um, uh, join in with questions uh, and of course take any from the floor so Sharon I've got a tenant who's recently moved from um, uh, housing benefits to universal credit and I expected because I dealt with this a little bit before that, that because it, we're dealing with the government here and they tend to be uh, mostly ranking ranking competence um with some with some exceptions uh, uh the, but so there's this big gap where it takes six weeks or whatever to, to change over from one to the other and then there seems to be some sort of like i think because it's such a large payment then comes in to the tenant because they're not very credit worthy and so on that their bank sort of flagged it up as a potentially fraudulent payment which caused the delay uh, and so essentially i've not got it um or I'm str they're, they're great tenants so I've, I've no real um concern that i will get it but like howard says maybe that's you know maybe that's folly because maybe that's bad debt you know um so you should be um uh taking action so i am doing i'm asking you a question that's the action i've decided to take rather than in lengthy systems um so uh, uh have, i imagine you've experienced that before with either your tenants or or, or similar situations so wondering um what actions to take and a specific question would be um 
with the housing benefit system, I used to be able to get access to, to essentially with their permission to then phone the council and ask them questions uh, and ask the council questions about where the payments were up to. Is the same thing true of you as well as credit? Because if it has, I've not got round two where I'm doing it yet. Yeah, okay. So yeah, so my understanding, so to answer the, your last question first, my understanding is yes. So if the tenant gives you permission to speak to that, they'll have like a case officer, I think they're called, yeah. um, to, to speak to them on their behalf. Universal credit these days is all done through an app. So it's all done online or through a computer, okay. which actually in my experience, a lot of tenants find quite problematic because the types of tenants who tend to end up on universal credit or housing benefit are probably not technologically literate um, and struggle with that. So certainly Warrington Council, they actually, um, well, when you were allowed to go in, you could go into their um, council offices and they would have basically a, effectively a hot desk computer in their lobby area. So for tenants who didn't have um, a computer or laptop at their own home and struggled with a phone, you could literally go into the council office, go into the lobby, go on your hot desk, but everything has to be done through what's called an online journal for universal credit. So it is difficult. Okay. Um, in my experience, um, universal credit just don't answer the phone. Um, they don't respond to any inquiries or questions either to you or the tenant. So when we work with tenants on universal credit, we've got the tenant messaging them, we're messaging um, I think I sent dozens of emails over the course of a couple of months and not one single response, not an even automated out of office or response. It's really, really difficult to communicate with them. So um, you said you've got a good relationship with the tenant. So that's key. So you need to maintain that, maintain lines of communication with your tenant and basically get your tenant to harass them. Um, and, and find out what's going on. Um, the, the added complication that the bank has flagged it as a, a security risk, again, is an issue. I'm dealing with something similar at the moment. So I'm waiting on an international payment that's taken two weeks and has been flagged by my bank and the sender's bank, and we just can't get to the bottom of it. Um, be persistent, don't give up and keep communication channels open would be my summary for that situation. I did want to accompany some of our tenants to the council offices for um, to, to wait our for our time in line to get to the terminal and make sure that everything was done correctly. And as we sat for a, probably a couple of hours in the benefits office, after a period of time, the tenant turned to me and said, so what are you planning to do the rest of your day on? I was like, yeah, no, I'm just coming to hang out in the benefits office. That's what I love doing, really. <laughs> uh, like completely oblivious to it. Uh, but sometimes you just got to do that. And like as Sharon said, I think quite a lot of our tenants, even the savvier ones, don't necessarily have PCs. They'll be working off the phones, which sort of makes life harder and rope internet links and data issues. So it's important to be aware of that as well. Yeah. Um, a supplementary question. HPD, which sounds, it sounds like a disease, but um, is that is that some sort of supplementary um, loans or things people can get to do with universal credit? Is that some, yeah. I may have got the acronym yeah. wrong there. Um, I think, I think you're referring to housing discretionary payment. Tom. That sounds right. Yeah. Yeah. So what that is, is basically that is something that the government has made more available as a result of the pandemic to people who are struggling. So this is something that we've directed some of our tenants who've been struggling financially to the council to inquire about. So effectively, it's a bit like a grant to pay off your rent arrears. However, um, through going through this process, what I've discovered is that tenants are only eligible for this if they're already claiming universal credit. 
So we've had one tenant who's in arrears who now claims universal credit, but his application for discretionary payment was turned down because when he applied for it, he wasn't actually receiving universal credit. So it's quite complicated. Wow. Okay. Well, that's uh, useful to know and hopefully useful for other people too, because it you know, affects more and more people. And, and as Howard was saying about talking about earlier, you know, even if you take the best tenants in the world on, their circumstances may change and suddenly what was a private tenant can easily become a, um, a benefits tenant. Certainly, certainly something I've experienced. Something like 16 million people in this country, don't they, collect benefits, which is about one in five. Um, so, you know, we, it's, we've, it's certainly through the pandemic, we've had some um, otherwise good tenants. You've had decent jobs who mm. have come into hardship uh, as a result and now, and now benefits tenants. So, yeah, it does happen. And with the best will in the world, whatever referencing you can do, sometimes people's life situation changes and you've just got to go with it yeah absolutely 